You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome to the garage. Welcome to another edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined as I always am for 105 episodes and counting. Bobby Castrone. Hey, Bob. You really settled into that intro, and we never we never altered it one bit. It it just has to come natural, and you settle on it, and all of a sudden it, it becomes uh, kind of in, in lodged in the brain. And I say it without even thinking, really. So that's how I know it's a good one. It's it good works. One. Do you feel like with your other podcast, you kind of got locked into this bunker terminology that now you're kind of stuck there? Or As the happen? host of the show, I do reserve the right to change it at any point. But mm-hmm. I think it is uh, in these times, uh, it is, I think, good to mention. We're still here. We're still doing this. Yeah. In fact, we, for a long time, and we're even using the Roman numerals, Super Bowl slash WrestleMania style to denote uh, every episode was titled titled Bunker Cast, you know, XX for 20. And then eventually I, I, I said to Ricky Hollywood, our producer, I said, let's just lose that. So we got rid of that. But I'm keeping the bunker in there. I mean, because this is the bunker. This is the ATN bunker slash the throwback bunker. Well, the Throwback Podcast Studio was getting some good buzz when you were using it sporadically. But mm-hmm. now the the naming rights, I feel like you're not honoring the full naming rights. Here's the problem, and this is uh, you know, this is unfortunate. We signed a contract. We signed a contract. The Throwback Podcast <laughs> Studio contract. I would love to see the it's physical like, contract. It's like Citibank Field. You know, this is like a big sponsorship <laughs> here. I'm, and, I would. I'm asking you to produce the contract, Bob. The problem here, Bob, is that for our, our lawyers gave it to Headgum to absorb. <laughs> so you're fine, ultimately. For nearly three years, the only podcast coming out of this garage emanating from the rented garage was the Throwback Podcast. But now we have this huge international hit for the uh, National Football League podcast that's been firing away. It was five days a week for about two months. Uh, So now it's really, it's almost like ATN is encroaching on the Throwback's territory. And then you have to start asking the question when you look at things like relevance and download numbers and things of that nature, fans. Uh, is this still a throwback podcast garage, or is it really now the ATN garage? I feel like it falls directly into what I was hoping would happen, and every time you record an episode of the other podcast on this equipment, I'm going to get like 5% of what comes out of it. So I am on my way. I'm Bad just news, building, I don't use any of this equipment on the podcast. I'm building my case. Uh, I don't care. That's not how I believe it happens. But that answers my question, Dan, about what's what? going on in this garage. And uh, speaking of answering questions... You don't want to know everything that goes on in this garage. And I'll leave it at that. Am I right? Oh, gross. Oh, I'm going to stand up now. Okay. Uh, We asked our Patreonies... Bob had a throbbing erection when he stood up. (laughs) Throbbing? It had like a heartbeat. Well, that's good. (laughs) Is it true, Bob, that your dick has a heart in it? It does. Yeah. It has its own ecosystem. Guy's got a heart dick. Heart dick. (laughs) (laughs) Or would it be a dick heart? Would that be a turnoff? I would feel like it would scare away a lot of uh, potential uh, romantic partners. Yes. Is it is it busting out like a, like a little frog in a Looney Tunes cartoon where you see the heart coming out? Yes, it's it's okay. cartoonish in its throbbing nature. Mm. It's like when uh, Pepe Le Pew uh, sees Fall, someone in he's love. in love with. Yeah. yeah, it's horrifying actually. I mean, if if ribbed for her pleasure is a thing, a heartbeat for her pleasure probably not too far off. 
What's going on in that industry, by the way? The prophylactic industry. What's going on in it? Yeah. Any new developments on that end? I put one over each hand when I go grocery shopping now. (laughs) So they're making a lot of money. We just need to be safer than ever. There are some people, I think we had um, had this conversation with our wives recently. The um, There are some people that are afflicted with, you know, minor members. So maybe what you could do is get... You could say micropenis. That is the medical term. We were having a micropenis conversation. We were having a micropenis. But I'm sure there's an industry that caters to those people. And then you could and then you could put five of those on each, right on your paw. And you're fine. You could use that for your fingers. Yeah. That's good. All right. So what's going on, Bob? <laughs> Don't ask why we were having a micropenis conversation with the wives. Is this is this the second show of the night? Yes, it is. It clearly is. <laughs> the second vodka, the second show. You're drink, I'm drinking a Lagunitas Daytime Al, even though it is well into the night. That is a bit of a party foul in the in the micro beer industry, isn't it? Micro brewery is that what you guys call? What it? calling it idiots? <laughs> Keep drinking your vodka out of your comically large <laughs> straw. I'm going to take a picture of that. Did you get that straw from a Subway? What is it's that? It's from a uh, one of those like plastic Starbucks cups. <laughs> oh, my God. You look ridiculous. I've taken so much from my wife. Anyway, what's going on, Bob? Well, Dan, I thought we could start this uh, episode off with a little fun. How about that? You want to have a little fun? Uh, we hit up our Patreonies to uh, sure. ask us questions. And guess what? We said we'd answer them. It's a little segment we call. That's nice. A little segment we call. Ask Us Things. Is that really? That's what we came down on? <laughs> Play the music. We're not even trying Play anymore. the Ask Us Things music. Okay, go ahead. Okay, here we go. Do you, Wait, you, did, some? you didn't have the music? No, no, it was a joke. I thought you had a nice little sting there. No. That's your job. Tisk, tisk. No, you're, no. The, you're the music guy. All right. Using my equipment to record your other shitty podcast. <laughs> what are you even talking about? There's no sports. Anyway. Wait, what? Just, what? Is that, is that a question? <laughs> That's my question. Is that a, a mailbag question? That's my question. Here we go. Let's start off with a question from Scott McKeating. Who has the worst gas? Let's start there. Great question. Worst gas between what? You and I? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I, I've, I've, I've smelt your brand. Oh, obviously. And I've uh, smelled yours. I think you do. Maybe. I don't know. You're pretty stinky. Well, I mean, neither of us are uh, winning. I'll take, I'll take the L there, though, if you want. It's a little profane, that question. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. You don't like it? Not, not so much. It just makes me think of uh, the time when we were in high school and we were picking up our friend Greg to go out for the night and we both had bad gas that night <laughs> and we were driving in the car and we decided to roll up the windows and him. fart as much as we could before picking him up. Just absolutely. You know what? That shows, first of all, <laughs> that we're very good friends, yeah. but also... What a disgusting thought. So we just sat in that in that filth, that air filth? Yeah, we were the just polluted air? Filling up for my, a bit? Filling up my 89 Buechle Saber. At what cost? <laughs> At the cost of just getting Greg to come in the car and be like, what the hell is this? What a disgrace. Okay. Yeah. What else? Um, next question from Neil Arthur. Noel or Liam? By the way, everybody likes their own brand, ultimately, as they say. It's true. It's like kids. You only like your own. Neil Arthur wants to know, Noel or Liam, post-Oasis output? Team Noel, Team Liam. Uh, Team Noel. I really, really liked the first Flying Birds album that came out in around 2011. I thought it was really solid. Um, If I Had a Gun was an awesome single. Uh, that I really enjoyed. So I'm going to say, Noel, Liam, there has been some modest pleasures. Wall of Glass might be the best 
in fact, I think is definitely the best rock song that either of them have put out. Uh, but also, you got to factor in, Bob, that Liam has like a team of songwriters. He's in the uh, late period Aerosmith place now where he's having people write his songs and then he's doing the Liam thing to bring it to life. Right. They're both playing to their strengths. Liam's strength is his voice and singing great songs. And I think that Liam has really come on strong with his last two albums. But I agree with you. Team Noel, that first album, his first two albums with the High Flying Birds was really good. And he's done some interesting and things. And he's going for interesting now, which I like. Right. He had a scissors player on the last album, I think. So. Man literally playing scissors, not scissoring. A woman. A, woman. a woman, sorry, but not scissoring, Dan. No. That's important to know. We've learned all about male scissoring. Here's a question we've gotten before. This one's from Mark. Did you guys completely miss Incubus? You both seem to be fans of every other band in their orbit. I don't know what that means. Did we miss him? No, because they were really one of the most popular bands of our college years. Impossible to miss. I think I like them a little bit more than you, Bob, or maybe uh, maybe a lot more because you might have hated them. But I didn't hate them, but they never did anything for me. I liked a few of their songs. I thought, uh, and the, the guy had a nice looking face on him. What's his name? Speaking of male scissoring. Brandon, right? Yeah, he was a good looking guy. So he mm-hmm. had, they had the like SoCal cool... Uh, skater vibe going on. Um, I liked a call out a warning, warning. Is that what they sounded like? Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I didn't like them. I thought Incubus was fine, a fine band uh, for their time. Sure, yeah, they're probably something where I've not heard them in twenty years now, and maybe I would kind of enjoy them a little more. That is now. interesting, though. Where are they? Did they continue to put out albums, and did they just not connect with the public because uh, they had some good songs? Remember this one? This is a good one. This is the Incubus. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. This is a good song, right? Pretty good song. Pretty good. And then there was... Oh, this is so 2001 I think I, right I kind of like this now. Yeah, very 2000, 2001. Sometimes like, did Everlast produce this? I know. So that was a good one. There was this one. Remember this one? They had some bangers, man. Mm-hmm. Maybe not bangers, but songs that were hugely Huge. popular. There's a pot in me while I burn. I'm going to keep going. How about this one? Wish You Were Here. I like this one a lot. I got to be honest with you, Bob. Oh, yeah. I think I'm an Incubus fan, as it turns out. What? Yep. Wait a second. Listen listen to the band crashing here. Here it comes. <laughs> little freed intro here. <laughs> Anyway. They're a little creedy, but yeah, no, I kind of, I definitely like it more now than I did in 2000. So what was the question? So now I can answer the question. It was, did you miss them? And then somebody else was like, I was going to ask that. The answer is no, we did not miss them. And it turns out they're one of the bands that, uh, you know, you forget that. Oh yeah. That single. I didn't mind that. didn't mind that one. Didn't mind that one. See, I, but I think at the time I legitimately kind of railed against them, not in a hate them way, but I just didn't want yeah. them in my life. As I recall, they had even like a kind of a badass We Hate George Bush song. Oh. Before Trump. People forget this. Maybe he was too pretty. Maybe that's why I didn't like him. Before Bush. I mean, before Trump, like George W. Bush was George W., right? George W. was Mm -hmm. hated. This was uh, Animali, it was called. This is a really good song. Listen to this one. Remember this one? No. Let's listen to a little bit of Animali. Thank you. 
like they were listening to Rage or something at the time. Mm -hmm. Wait, does this sound weird right now? In your ears? No. No. It sounds like we're listening to Incubus, which sounds a little weird in my ears. Oh, wait, the George Bush song is this one, Megalomaniac. I promise this is the last Incubus song we're going to listen to. Ever. They were experimenting with some different sounds. I can't give you too much more time. Yeah, I know. They're really, they're pushing it. Who's the megalomaniac now? Am I right? All right. Anyway. It's too bad it didn't work out the way I wanted it to there, but... uh... My first ever uh, thing I got to do when I was a PA at MTV was uh, the band Audio Vent with the lead singer Jason Boyd, the younger brother of uh, Brandon, Brandon Boyd. Boyd, was the lead singer of this band Audio Vent. I got to go backstage for like one of their first shows in New York for like some MTV news hit. And I was like... This is at like peak Incubus? Yes. So and I was like, did yeah. Did he have the, the brother's good looks? Yeah, he was a good looking kid. Good looking kid. Because that's there's nothing worse than that when your brother is clearly better looking. I remember being big on the audio event train because I got to go backstage with them, but then uh, that train petered out pretty quickly. All right. What else, Bob? What else? What other questions do we have? Uh, Tom Leahy wants to know whose wife is hotter. Ooh. I don't think that's for us to say. <laughs> I mean, we both have hot wives. Yeah, we both. That's the answer. It depends what you're into. We both did very well. And Bob's right. They're different. They're different types. Do you I'm want with a, the blonde. Do you want a blonde from Texas or a brunette from Connecticut? I mean, there's two different things. But we did. We both did very well, especially uh, from where we started our humble beginnings as teenagers. That we ended up with where we ended up. Nice job. Yep. Oh, okay. here it comes, Bob. Oh yeah. Okay, Incubus is my favorite band. <laughs> wow. That's so, the answer. Sorry, Live. You guys, and, you guys got booted. And guess what? The question was, did we miss Incubus? Yes, I missed them. I didn't realize how much I liked them. There you go. How about this? Look what our Patreonies are doing, Dan. Nice. They just gave you a new favorite band. What else? All right, last one. How about we do David Comport wants to know your most listened to album ever. Uh, that has to be... Um that has to be a U2 album for me. And it would be either Joshua Tree or Actung Baby. And I think it would ha- I think it's Actung Baby. If I had to guess, if the if the question is what are if you took a list of like listens to each song and then you figured out what, what the album when you put all the math together on it, it would be Actung Baby. That mm-hmm. would be the album I've listened to the most. Which somehow we haven't done on this podcast yet, by the way. That's weird because that's my most listened to album also. So we probably should have done it. <laughs> What about you? Well, at first I thought it was Is This It by The Strokes, but that came a little too late. So I think it would have had to have been an album. Wait, define too late. Why wouldn't you have listened to an album in 2001? Because I think uh, something like Pinkerton had a five-year head start on that. So I think it's probably Pinkerton. Oh, just oh, just the amount of years. Yeah, That's interesting. The most okay. that you've listened to I didn't think of it. it that way. So something like so Pinkerton, Pinkerton or August and Everything After, which were probably... The two albums I listened to the most in high school. August has got to be up there for me, too. 
But I think Pinkerton for me, because I listened to that album from beginning to end over and over and over again. Ask that last question you mentioned about the movies. That was a good one, too. Oh, yes. There was another pretty cool question. And the people, the ones that we have not answered, I'll answer it on, uh, in text on Patreon, because oh. I'm that kind of guy. How about that? That is a nice gesture by you. Well, you know what? We love our Patreonies. of you. We love them. Patreon.com slash throwback pods. To mention it on the show so everyone knows that that's what you're going to do. That, you know, that's a nice little touch, too. Tyler W. says, I keep two playlists called Songs to Retire. Don't care. One. Oh, my God. Is that why you wanted me to do this? Just so you could <laughs> bury that guy. Bury, bury that Tyler guy. in a big spot. <laughs> Next. <laughs> uh, on this list is one of songs that I think were used so well in a movie or TV show. All right, let's get into it. <laughs> oh, poor guy. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> I actually thought that was going to be simple, created by live. Um, so it's a song that was used so well in a movie or TV show that any subsequent usage is derivative. An example is Where Is My Mind from Fight Club. Great. As the buildings come down. Amazing. And, uh, yeah. Bonham and uh, Pitt or Norton are holding hands. Beautiful. So before we get into part two of this, what would be a song that you think was used so well in a movie. Some people call her Bonham Carter. I just call her Bonham. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Do you do you have one that was used? I do. Perfectly? Uh, it was actually in the same era as Fight Club. It was a movie um, called Lost in Translation, and it is a song by the Jesus and Mary Chain, mm. and it is the scene where Scarlett Johansson's character kind of ends her trip to Japan and her like long dalliance or however you want to explain her connection with the Bill Murray celebrity character and I believe she's in a cab heading to the airport and you're seeing just uh, her driving through Tokyo I believe and looking out onto the the neon drenched city and uh, reminiscing on everything and just like Honey is playing which so is good. an awesome song and perfectly, just the perfect usage. Listen to a little bit. One of those album, one of those bands that like, I just wish I was a little bit cooler, and I I knew more about the artist. I think uh, Kurt Cobain was a big fan. Yeah, I only started uh, listening listening to them a few years ago, and they're so good. They're definitely not something that was on our radar back in the day. How about you? So, uh, my mind, the first one that came to me was from one of my favorite movies of all time, one of the best comedies, American Beauty, name movies ever. The Big Lebowski, which uses music so well throughout it. Yes. The Man and Me by Bob Dylan. What a great way to start a movie. It's such a, just a great feel to introduce this movie and this character. Let's just listen to it. There's a little he would ask 
I like that. The Jeff Bridges character, you know, Big Lebowski, kind of just floats through life, an old hippie, mm-hmm. drinking his white Russians. Perfect song. This feels like something down. he would listen to while getting drunk on a Sunday afternoon. So good. The Dude. The Dude. Uh, the Dude Abides, right, Paul? There you go. You did How it. about that? Nailed it. Yep. Uh, what was it? So this album, American Idiot, came out in 2004. There's nothing that I, that screams 2004 to me more than American Idiot by Green Day. Uh, and by the way, our second Green Day album, we did Dookie. Yep. I don't remember uh, doing it doing it at all. Don't it was anything one, about it. I do. Here's what I remember about it. We did it on the same night that Nikki was here, and right after Nikki left, I uh, Nikki Glazer. Nikki Glazer, yes, uh, smoked a little Green Day, and then did that <laughs> album. And I was a little stoned. I've only been stoned for two of these uh, podcasts. That was one of them. So you I may have been what? a it, little too revealing in that episode. It does ring a bell now. And yeah. I remember I could see it in your eyes and you were acting a little differently. Yeah. So that's one that uh, I haven't gone back to listen to. I haven't gone back to listen to any of them. But if you that's want to hear <laughs> Bob uh, in his own head and uh, yes. you know, doubting himself as he's speaking, listen to the Doogie <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that's all I did the entire time. Uh, but yes, we're doing American Beauty. American... <laughs> Oh, American Beauty. Kevin Spacey's career. Uh, but we are doing American Idiot by Green Day, which came out in 2004. And what, Bob, uh, what was going on in 2004? What, was, what else was popular besides American Idiot? Uh, felt like that was the only thing people were talking about. That was really it. In September 2004, it's when the album came out. Uh, big TV show premiered that month, Lost Dan. Never, I've never seen a single episode of Lost. That surprises me. That seems like something you'd get very into. It. I have a, I have a staunch rule that I'll never watch a program on ABC. Really? I just, it never. There's never been a show outside of the Wonder Years that has ever appealed to me on ABC. I did not watch it when it was on, and it was a very. I was working at Best Week Ever at the time, and everybody was obsessed with it, and I missed it entirely. But years later, I caught it on Netflix, and. Uh, it was fun. It's a fun That's ride. That's weird because when you were at VH1, you were working on that Best Week Ever show and all those like dopey talking heads people. I'm sure like half of the, the episodes were about Lost. They were. And I was completely out of it. Why did, Didn't you feel like maybe you should watch it? It would help you in some level as a homework assignment? Clearly, I don't do things to help my career. <laughs> that would never be something that would dawn on me. But it was all, it was a different era where if you missed an episode or you missed a few episodes of a show, you just didn't catch up on it. That's true. That's very true. If there was streaming, I absolutely would have been mm-hmm. all over it, especially when there were some drips and drabs. You were hearing that the creators of Lost had all these strange oasis, deep references. Have you ever heard about this? No. Um, about um, either flashbacks, like one of the guys is playing Wonderwall, but then if you peel back, this was one of those shows where this means that and that, that mm-hmm. means this, mm-hmm. that there's all sorts of like oasis uh Flotsam connected to Lost. Interesting. Gotta go. I'm gonna Google right now. Oasis Flotsam. (laughs) I've never Googled the word Flotsam. All right. So uh, when this album dropped, the number one song in Australia. Let's go to Australia. Our Australian listeners. So we're gonna throw them a bone and see what they were into in September. Australia. Let me just say before you play it, that country has phenomenal taste. I'm sure whatever the number one song was in September 2004 is of the utmost quality. (laughs) 
fucking song. Ugh. Oh, this one. This. <laughs> this fucking song. And the show has hit a new low. <laughs> oh, I forgot about this one. Ask her if she wants to stay And she will be loved. And she will be loved. You hate Maroon 5. Yeah. Hate Maroon 5. I'm, I'm with you, too. Yeah. I don't. I guess, you know, ladies like him. I guess the fans of The View. like Not The View. What was it? The Voice. The show he's on? The Voice. Voice. They like him? Sure. Yeah. You could, you, could like, you could like him all you want, but come on. All right. Let's, let's, get to, uh, let's get to some real music. There you go. It came out in September 2004, and it reinvigorated the career of the future Rock and Roll Hall of Famer's Green Day. Nice. <laughs> Don't want to be an American idiot. Don't want a nation under the new media. And can you hear the sound of hysteria? The subliminal mind fuck America. American idiot. They are back. The lead single. The lead well, that was an F bomb that shows up there. <laughs> that was not in the radio edit. Um, this is the lead single of the album American Idiot, and it Bob was released uh, August thirty first, two thousand four, and it was huge right out of the box. Yeah, I yelled their back, but they never went away. They had hits on all of their albums leading up to this, but. This yes, a common misconception is that they had Dookie and then they disappeared and then they showed up. Not true at all. No, they had big songs on Nimrod and Warning, but they did kind of feel like a band of yesteryear. And then this album came out and just catapulted them into the whole new stratosphere. Yeah, they definitely were. And this song is such a huge reason why, because it really is a great rock song. It is. I, and I know it's played out. And we, everyone's heard it a trillion times. But when you listen to it with fresh ears, you understand why everyone embraced it because it was just a lot of fun and i think there's this cool part where the music drops out which is fun let me uh let me pull it up a second oh no i'm thinking of a different song another single later but uh there were a lot of good song a lot of good songs on those albums in between so yeah i'm totally with you bob that they never went away but very rarely does a, a rock band kind of peak the way they did in 94 95 and then have a second peak. We haven't seen it lot, a lot, and I don't think anybody thought Green Day was going to be that. No, big. I mean Green Day was completely like music for young snotty kids. Like he was not a character in '94, but he was, you know, the the guy that's the little snotty kid that sang like he was British when he was really from Berkeley, California, and they were the young stoners. So yeah, to have a second peak, nobody saw that coming. Uh, and it's a great, it's an awesome way to kick off an album, number one. Because right away, there's your statement of intent, of intent, American Idiot. 
It's a driving rock song with a great hook, and it kind of gets to right at the uh, point of uh, the theme of the album, which is Green Day and uh, representing a lot of people thought at the time uh, was things that were wrong with the United States and with the leadership and George Bush. And that helped, I think, it go to a... It went to the next level because all of a sudden it was like, oh, here's this band, American Idiot. It's about George Bush. And that probably got them, I imagine, on Fox News and all that kind of stuff. So they... They really tapped into something at this time. Taking a page out of Incubus's book. Classic Incubus move. <laughs> I, who did it first, though? That's the question. That is the question. I mean, you were a big Green Day fan, Bob. You were huge in uh, 94, but I don't remember you really being that on fire about this album at any point. No, Am and I, I, I kind of, no, I want to talk about that as we listen to it more because the fact that it became such a big hit, I think speaks to how great of an album it is because it is a rock album that came out at a time when rock was a completely different beast and wasn't playing stuff like this. And in 2004, we were, I was, into The Strokes and The White Stripes and The Killers and all of this music that was Franz Ferdinand up and coming. And the fact that Green Day was able to cut through that whole movement and make an album that's remembered that was probably bigger and remembered more fondly than pretty much all of them is incredible. Yeah, it is. It's really shocking. And uh, in 2004, this was right before Billboard kind of got its shit together and realized they needed to recalibrate how they uh, measure if a single is moving up the charts or not. Uh, and this song in particular is a, uh, is a good example. It peaked at number 61 on the Hot 100, but they didn't include the download numbers of everyone on um, iTunes and and uh, I guess it would be mostly iTunes back then mm-hmm. downloading the song and it was a huge hit for people downloading it uh, across the uh, rest of the world it was way bigger in terms of the chart success it was the band's first top five single in the United Kingdom peaking at number three it debuted at number one in Canada and in our our, our land of Australia which we love the song reached number seven I don't uh, I don't like that don't like that these other countries were uh, getting off on calling us idiots what the fuck? Come on, guys. Thought we were cool. Four more years, Bob. Thought we were cool. I know you want it. <laughs> All right. Uh, up next, this is, uh, to me, the album Peaks in track two. Wow. It is a nine-minute uh, opus called Jesus of Suburbia, and I think it is a functionally perfect song and the greatest thing Green Day ever did. Okay. Have I set it up enough? I mean, some might say you kind of oversold it. All right. Let's listen to it. All right, so this was the fifth and final single from American Idiot, and it, it is definitely, we've hit these albums before, these huge kind of uh, zeitgeist uh, 
uh, grabbing hold of the Zeitgeist albums, sometimes they'll just throw that last single out there as a heat check. Yep. So they decided, let's throw a nine-minute uh, song, nine minutes, eight-second song, and see what it does. And I don't think it did much. Uh, the radio... Uh, version was cut down to six and a half minutes and guess what that's not going to cut it either <laughs> uh, but there's no way really to cut down this album uh, this song because it has a lot of different layers to it and I, I will say Bob I know it seems like we're not on the same page with this but I just think this is such a, a cool song that shifts and I love the melody of it and coming off American Idiot, then it ro- rolls into this, and it's like, whoa, this is completely different than anything they've done. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not fully disagreeing with you. It's just, you know, you were really, you're kind of laying it on thick. But it's just how, that's just, yeah. that's just how I feel about no, it. No, it's it's incredible. And yeah, this is the Dookie band. This is Basket Case. It's, in, it's insane that this is where they ended up. All right, listen to this part. I mean, the ambition is wild here. And Billy Joe Armstrong, the whole album actually hangs on this character, the central character named Jesus of Suburbia. It's a concept album. And Billy Joe Armstrong told Billboard magazine in 2004, after you write a song like that, it was like, I can't turn back now. You can't all of a sudden say, I want to write a normal record. Right. So interesting. Interesting. Yeah, this is so good. It's uh, so interesting listening to it now, you know, years and years later, because at the time, like I, I had moved on from Green Day and all of a sudden they were back and people were talking about them. And it was, you know, I was like in New York trying to like be a part of something else. And it's like, yeah, but Green Day's back. It's like, ah, <laughs> are they? Like, right. Like, I didn't know like it how to kind of. It wasn't as big as this album was. It, it wasn't cool to be. You know, huge fan, of, especially if you're living in New York and living where you were, Bob, in the Lower East Side. It's like walking around with a Jesus of Suburbia T-shirt or something was not going to get you the cool points. Not that you were necessarily after it, but that just wasn't. No, what was but going even on back but then. like the cool kids were all of a sudden talking about Green Day too, and that like confused me. So it's like, wait, no, this is the kind of stuff from high school that I thought I had to move on from because we're like cool, right. we're cool twenty-four-year-olds now. So yeah, it was weird. It was the whole like it was uh, it was unexpected to say the least. I think that is the way. I think that that is the word I would use to describe American Idiot the album. Unexpected. Um, all right, and before we move on, this is broken into five parts, Bob. Uh, Jesus of Suburbia is the first part of the song. City of the Damned. I don't care, which is what we're listening to now, and then. The fourth part is called Dearly Beloved, and that's what I want to listen to because it's my favorite part of the song, and then we'll move on. Okay, okay yeah. No, no rush. We have nowhere to go. Because this is when I, when I heard this part, I was like, whoa, are they going for Bohemian Rhapsody on this? Yeah. The ambition. You know I like ambition, but I enjoy that. I like when big bands take chances and say, we're going to try to change things up. Yeah, I remember when Tommy came out, you were like, yes, a rock opera about pinball you were so into it i could not get enough of tommy <laughs> in 1977 i just i couldn't stop thinking about it and uh it, it just changed 
It changed my it's life. Like, God, if this guy keeps on talking to me about Pinball Wizard, I'm going to fucking kill myself. All right, here it comes. You want to talk about hitting a creative vein. Yeah. Like this deep into your career. Uh, Jesus of Suburbia by Green Day. Certainly probably the most ambitious song they ever put out. Although I will say when we get to the bottom half of the album, they have another nine minute rager. Yeah, they weren't done. Show up. Uh, but let's move on now to track three, Bob. And this is uh, another huge single. Off the album, American Idiot, we know was big. It won Grammys, the whole thing. It turned into a, a, a musical that I think Bob saw multiple times. Lived there. It was in it. And uh, Jesus Suburbia didn't do much on the charts, but this song certainly did. I know what you Western Canadians are thinking right now. Why is this song so familiar? <laughs> You're always in the head of Western Canadians. <laughs> That's because they played Holiday every time the Canucks scored a goal. <laughs> Back Good. in uh, their run to the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals. Wow. Now, Dan, you, um, you, know, you let us know in the last episode that you were on Canadian radio promoting the throwback podcast sure was. how is that uh how's that follow-up been have you been continuing to kind of push us north of the border put it this way it's a good thing that there are travel restrictions in place um because of the 19 because if there weren't the canadians would be pouring over the border to see wow. the old zeuser wow so put it that way it wow. was a defining moment in canadian culture for me to go on the number one sports radio station in Canada and plug this podcast, it was a game changer both for our show and for that country. You might get a star in the Canadian Walk of Fame, which is a thing in Toronto. That could happen for you. If I could be next to the chubby guy from Bare Naked Ladies, his like stubby little hands. Stubby little hands. <laughs> All right, this is a cool part of the song. Is 
it on the nose? Maybe. But I'm in. Sure. Government, punk rock man. I mean, why don't you like this song, Bob? What no, do you, I don't not like. Where, I, don't, I see. I don't, I'm, I'm, I feel your body language. I don't language, not like anything. General disinterest. You don't seem to be embracing this great comeback album by one of the bands of your youth. Please speak on it. No, I've always. <laughs> you're you really. I, I'm sitting like I don't know why I'm sitting like this. I'm drinking a beer. I'm having a good time. No, I think it's, it does bring back like this weird memory of me sort of not knowing if I was going to like Green if I was allowed to even like Green Day in 2004. Why do you think being 24, does it seem, and this isn't an attack on you, but more just like what it's like to be in your early to mid-20s, isn't it ridiculous to even thought think that that might be something where you were wrestling with, as opposed to but just I being was, like, I like this. But this I wasn't good. wrestling with it for other people. Like It wasn't like I had to like wrestle with how I was going to act in public knowing that I secretly like this Green Day album. <laughs> how I can think, I show my face as a fan of the American it Indian It wasn't album. that at all, but I think when you're sort of like, you're kind of figuring yourself out in your 20s and you're like, oh no, I this is who I am now. And then this old girlfriend comes back in your life mm. with bringing you everything you want, especially as a kid who liked musicals. And this is like a musical rock opera kind of thing. And you're like, oh my God, what are you, you've, you've, you're giving me everything I've ever wanted from you, but... I think I've moved on. Billy Joe wanted to take a piece of mud and stick it in your mouth and be like, come back to me. Come back to me. And you wouldn't, though. You said, I've fallen in love with someone else. His name is Julian Casablanca. But every single thing I heard, I liked. Another dirty rock star. (laughs) A different dirty rock star. But everything I heard, I liked at the time. I just, I never, I don't know. Like, I I love listening to it now because it's not something that I have this, like, big connection to because I didn't connect with it back in... Hold that thought because I I don't think you're alone on that. I think this album has a little bit of a strange legacy, Uh, but uh, let's continue on. And you want to talk about an album that's in a groove early on. American Idiot, huge hit, Jesus of Suburbia. I think it's a brilliant uh, rock opera, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Swing for the Fences type Mm -hmm. thing. Holiday, another huge hit single across the the world, uh, straight into... Uh, one of the one of the best, if not the best, kind of mid-tempo Green Day songs, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known.
Yeah. Your thoughts. The second single, by the way. This was not overplayed, but played a lot. Oh. Was it overplayed? Yes. Maybe, again. I would, if, if someone told me that it was the most played song of 2004 or 2005, whenever it was released, uh-huh. I would absolutely believe it. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it was exactly the type of song, kind of the tempo of it mm-hmm. and the big memorable chorus. That is catnip, I imagine, for modern rock um, programmers. And it even, I imagine, might have crossed over to some of the pop radio markets because they had gotten so big again. Yep. It was kind of a perfect storm. So I just found a little nug on the internet on loudwire.com. The idea for this song came to Armstrong during a trip to New York where he rented a loft and spent time jamming with Ryan Adams and Jesse Mallon. What? Jesse Mallon. Is that Jesse that won the I Want to Be a VJ contest? No, that's that's Jesse Camp. What a travesty that was. When are we going to do his album? I one of my dreams for this podcast is to get Dave Holmes on the show. I oh, I thought like you were going to say awesome. not to get Jesse Camp on the show because that's one of my dreams. What, uh, what about a Holmes Camp reunion? Let's do spot? it. Let's bring it. You know, now that all these reunions are happening now on Zoom, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, no, go on. Yeah. So, all right. So that's well, kind of cool. That He's, never happened though. Because Ryan Adams is done. So the whole thing is out. But Jesse Mallon, he owned uh, Niagara. He did. One of the great uh, bars of, uh, uh, was that in the and East had, Village? Yeah, and he had like my favorite album of last year that Billy Joe Armstrong was a guest on. So it all connects. There you go. There you go. All these old guys, old rockers always show up, stick together down the, down the uh, stretch of life. What? What? Right. Okay. I want to play something about it. It's what we do here. The... Uh, and I do really like the song. It's good to hear it again. It is good to hear it again because I haven't heard it in a while. And how big was it, Bob? It was actually ranked the number one song on Rolling Stones, Reader's Choice, Singles of the Decade list. Wow. 2009. Number 65 on best songs of the de- 100 Best Songs of the Decade. Also, it sold over 2 million copies in the U.S. as of 2010. The single peaked at number blank on the Billboard Hot 100, Bob. 31. Number two. <laughs> How does American Idiot peak at 60-whatever? And this I bet thing, they had changed yeah, I guess over they must by have that just time. Gone over. And uh, the only, what kept it at the top spot was that fucking shitty song by 50 Cent, who's pretty much horrible, by the way, uh, Candy Shop. What a fucking pile of shit that song was. Let me meet you at the candy shop. That was uh, Dan Hansis, Mr. Cent, who said that. So if you're going to come. Oh, please. Do you think 50 Cent and his... 700 room mansion in Connecticut is like uh, holding grudges at this point. Yes, he's coming to get you. Uh, it was the ninth highest selling single of the 2000 to 2009 decade. How about that? Hmm. Uh, and finally, this was the era, Bob, as you may recall, of the mashup. Oh, yeah. Remember the mashup era? Danger Mouse. In fact, the Grey album, all of that great stuff. I am doing right now a Sopranos rewatch in advance of. Uh, the new David Chase movie, the, I don't know what it's called, Kings of Newark or something, something like that. And uh, Sounds like something he would make. The, look at you, dismissive all over the place tonight. <laughs> all right, tell, Nancy. Us, tell us more New Jersey stories. Um, <laughs> and uh, the season three premiere has a mashup of uh, Every Breath You Take by Sting and then I think the Dragnet theme, something like that. And it reminded me how big it was in that 2003-2004 era and the one that I always loved the most uh, was based off Boulevard of Broken Dreams, but it also featured one of our favorite artists, Bob. Two of them, actually. All right. 
Oh, wow. Have you heard this? Yes. Part? Yeah. <laughs> bit of a weird era. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. Kind of dunderheaded. It's a little. It's retrospect. a little forced. Yeah. But uh, you, you got me thinking. I'm gonna be listening to girl talk on the ride home. It's been a while. Um. A nice comment. I like this. Jenny Higgins. I remember getting about 50 viruses on my computer. This is on YouTube. Downloading this song to listen to it on repeat every day on my MP3 player when I was about 13. There's another um, artist, Bob, we love. I think it shows up here. If it doesn't, you'll never know. Wow. Travis! Did did you make this? <laughs> I know. This is, if if I hear Bono, then I'm definitely gonna <laughs> give your name to the RIA. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Travis shows up there too, and we've covered. Oh my God! We, I, I, how many more episodes are we gonna do, Bob? We have covered now American <laughs> Idiot. Uh, we've covered what's the story of Morning Glory, yeah. where uh, where uh, Wonderwall shows up. We've covered the man Travis, who. the man who, where Writing to Reach You so shows up. And if you remember the Writing to Reach You podcast, um, Dan doesn't Wonderwall. I don't. I certainly don't. Wonderwall. They basically lift the baseline from Wonderwall. So nice job there by the mashup guy. Good job. All right, let's move on. Are we the waiting? is the next track on American Idiot. This kind of sounds a little bit like me and Honey. It does. You know who loved this album? My Chemical Romance. Oh, totally. Who's the dude from My Chem? Gerard Way. Gerard Way fucking loved this album, unequivocally. Joe Rogan's cousin, Gerard Way. What? I think so. Joe Rogan just signed a $100 million podcast deal, by the way. Oh, that reminds me. We were supposed to have that announcement at the beginning of the episode. We have decided not to sign a $100 million (laughs) deal to Spotify. We are not going to do that. Tough decision. It was a tough one, but we thought... From a, um, it was our ethos to keep it real. Yes. Uh, I like this song I too. I love this song, and it was in something, and I don't know what it was in, but I found this song at some point. How about a little research next time? 
No. Do a little homework. No, because I don't even know where I heard it. Effort into your craft. No. How about a Google search? That goes against everything we stand for. We do not want $100 million. Keep it. Stick it in your pocket. You could have it if you just tell me where the Are You, Are We the Waiting song came from. (laughs) Nope. Put your monocle back in and hit the high road. I love this. This sounds like the song, a song that like fun heard and said, let's do that six times. Yeah, I hear that. And also I hear a really powerful moment in the American uh, Idiot musical. Yes. Oh, you know it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I just don't think there's anything less rock and roll than doing the, the musical. And I say that as a U2 fan and they did a horrible Spider-Man type thing. But you've that, never been a musical guy. Failed. No, you've never been. Although I did, it, I did go to that show. I did, it, I did see Spider-Man blown up in the dark or whatever the fuck it's called. And you were in Little Shop of Horrors, the senior play. I was in the senior show, Little Shop. What was your role in that? Oh, what was I? Did Nothing I, really. Have any heat to it? No, no, no. It was why not? not? Yeah, I feel like you would put in the put in the work. You were certainly in more of those productions than I was. Do you think that maybe you got a little blackballed uh, in the play industry? Perhaps. perhaps. Well, I had a lead uh, in How to Succeed in Business that year. So maybe I just, I can't remember which one came first. But maybe I let people down. It was in October, I I believe, the senior show. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then How to Succeed, when when was that? That was the makeup call for, for shafting me in Little Shop, I guess. So they buried you in Little Shop. Yeah. In a big spot. Big spot. Because that was the one that, I would say most people attend the senior show, right? That gets the most. They're heat. all they all sell out, buddy. <laughs> They're all a pretty big deal. So, speaking of rock and roll, <laughs> here's St. Jimmy, by the way. Here we go. St. Jimmy's coming down across the alleyway. Up on the boulevard like a zip gun on parade. Lights on the silhouette. He's just some butternut. Coming at you on the count of Here's an interesting nugget, Bob. Following the disappointing sales of their previous album, Warning, in 2000. She had some good songs on it. Yeah, Warning is a great song. Yeah. She got the waiting off that album. Waiting. The band took a break before beginning their next album, Cigarettes and Valentines. The recording was cut short. Here's some rock lore for you, Bob. When the master tapes were stolen and the band decided to start from scratch. Isn't that probably bullshit? When you hear stories like that, isn't that yeah, usually we, probably not true? Weezer had stories like that, like around the Pinkerton time of like their rock opera kind of thing. And then something went missing or he just like woke up one day and threw it all out. Right. Like, yeah. There's a, there's a famous uh, U2 story of Brian Eno. They couldn't get where the streets have no name right. So he was going to wipe the master tape and like Edge grabbed it and said, no, we need to give it another shot. That probably didn't happen. <laughs> but it makes for a nice story. Good story. Down the line. Yeah. Uh, this song, all right. It kind of, it's of a piece. It's of a piece. Of a piece. Correction, Bob. It wasn't Brian Eno. It was Danny Lenoir. You didn't have to correct that. That's fine. He said, let's let's start from scratch on this. I didn't need that correction. Old Danny Lenoir. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Up next... Give me Novocaine. I think I remember this one. All right. 
You, Bob. Sensitive voice. You like this? I do. It's like a he has a really, he does have a great voice. He does. He has, uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for it. It's not a, he's not Freddie Mercury. I mean, it's not like a, a booming voice that people envy, but it, in terms of like its ability to convey emotion and things of that nature. Nice job by you, Billy Joe. I mean, do we want to? Do we have anything to add on? This is an album that only exists because of George W. Bush and the war in Iraq. I, I feel like it would behoove us to touch on that a little bit more, but I don't know. I don't have a ton of takes on it. Just know that that's a major part of why this album exists. Yeah, we can get into it. Let's let's go. Let's go political. <laughs> I think that. Uh, yeah. I think I think it is notable. I think I said it earlier today, but I'll say it again, that people don't realize how incredibly unpopular George W. Bush was to a large portion of our country. And it's all now forgotten, basically, and it's been swept under the rug because Donald Trump has fucking changed everything. What your thoughts on what could be a a presidency that's just bonkers, batshit insane. But that was the only other presidency in our lifetime that was that controversial. Totally. it's Bush and Trump, and that's it. Like, is there anything else that even has half the pop in terms of like divisiveness? No, because I mean, the Bush presidency was completely painted by September 11th and right. his reaction to it and what came after it, and the country was not. It was there was nothing like that leading up to it, obviously. So we had never been put through those sort of challenges, and having a leader who most of I mean, everybody in New York City thought it was completely ill-equipped and handling everything the wrong way. It was a completely mind-fuck era of a presidency until this guy came along. Um, and Bob Castrone, for the record, did come up with the phrase, no blood for oil. So it's interesting. A nice moment for you. It's interesting because I feel like the people that listen to this podcast know that I'm a, I'm a liberal uh, snowflake uh Cuck? No, I'm not a cuck. Um, <laughs> but I remember around that time I was dating a girl who was an actress. We lived in Brooklyn and I would hang out with like all of her actor friends. And every day when I went to work, I would read the New York Post. I would spend, I would drop a quarter, get a New York Post sure. and read it on the way to just, that was my news. Like I wasn't, it was a different era. I wasn't like a news hound trying to keep up on things. You just kind of kept up with the news just a little bit. So everything I knew about the news, I was reading in the New York Post. A, a, a very conservative a very newspaper. very conservative yes. newspaper. But even I, I didn't even know that Neither when I was I. reading it. I didn't learn about any of that shit until really, honestly, until Trump came along. That, that educated me so much on who runs what. I was woefully behind the curve. So I remember getting into an argument with one of my girlfriend's friends, this girl, Erin. We were talking about, you know, invading Iraq. And my take was <laughs> such a 2005 argument. My take was my take was, hey, if the intel says that he has WMDs, it's the right thing to do. 
Like we got to do it. Like if that's, and apparently that's what the Intel says, if, the, if that's what it says. So in my defense, I was saying if, cause that's what, but it, I believed that they did sure. because I was reading the New York post and that was the only info <laughs> I had. So I was essentially arguing the, uh, the right <laughs> Republican side with uh, my liberal girlfriend and her liberal friends. Well, I was a liberal, but I didn't even know what I was saying at the time. Ah, to be in your 20s and to be a <laughs> dumb piece of shit. <laughs> All right, here's St. Jimmy. Did I play that yet? No? Here's my question, Bob. Where are the WMDs? Where are the WMDs? Condoleezza. <laughs> More like Condoleezza. Boom. Got her. Hey, you want to go hunting? Make sure you don't do it with Dick Cheney. <laughs> nice. Got it. Now, let me say this. Like Green Day, I said I, that. That's how I would. Um, that's how I would describe my fandom. I like Green Day, mm-hmm. but it's songs like this that probably held me back from ever being like a legitimate fan, uh, because it does feel like I've heard this Green Day song roughly forty thousand times. That's fair. It's fair, and I like it. The lyrics are different, but the song sounds the same. I heard like. Half the songs in Insomniac in 1995 sounded like this. Right. You know what I mean? So like now we're now we're in 2004, and everything is in in hyper warp speed when you're in your teens and 20s. So 1995 to 2004 feels like a hundred years ago mm-hmm. when you're that age. So I was like, what am I hearing this again for? And everybody got this album for Christmas. This was what all that you can't leave behind in 2000 was American Idiot in 2004 2005. Every ant got this album yeah. for their kid. Unless they were conservative-minded and were aware of the what the intent of the album was. I donated all of my Christmas presents to the troops. Nice. Nice. Very good. <laughs> all right, up next, Bob, as we move heading toward the back end of the album, is Extraordinary Girl. No, it was also big. Not my president. Not my president. That kind of started. Came back. The Bush presidency, and now it, it roared back. I think the right co. Times. I think the right co-opted it with Obama. I don't think it ever went away. Like Green Day, it never went away. Oh, that's interesting. But I, I feel like we deployed it often for comedic effect. Yes, of course. Throughout the aughts. Um, yeah, there was a lot. Thinking back now, there was a lot of anti-Bush. Uh, art that came out and I think with Trump everybody's just too fucking exhausted by it where I don't I can't like point my finger to great anti-Trump art you would think there would be a band and I'm sure it's happening all the time that that was or a big band that was putting out a their version of American Idiot but yeah I think there is that level of exhaustion or almost being overwhelmed by it all that people are either staying away for it, from it or maybe it just hasn't been like a piece of art that has been able to kind of capture everyone's uh, attention 
Is everyone just too beaten down to create great art? I mean, on this, I feel like the Ron be... the Ron is not helping. Yeah, that's true. It's like everything's just uh, compiling to make sure that there's nothing noteworthy to come out of this era artistically. What a time to be alive! <laughs> well, it's wonderful. <laughs> So if you were still living in New York when American Idiot, the musical, came out and your wife Heather said, happy birthday, and you opened up the Ticketmaster envelope and it was two you know, mezzanine-level tickets to the show. Would have, would have liked to her to maybe splurred on some floor seats, but okay. She yeah, looked yeah. into the orchestra. Maybe some orchestra seats, yeah. A little rich for her blood. Got it. Okay. Um... What's your feeling? I'm oh, sure I would have, you're going. I would have loved it. Yeah. Okay. So you're excited. Well, that's one of my like New York regrets thinking back. It's like, I should have gone to more shows. You know, that's like a classic New York regret. Right. Went to a few, but should have gone to more. We were there. It's like, how many museums did you go to in all the years you lived in New York? I think I went to the Museum of Natural History once. That on our field trip in fourth grade? Is that what trip. you're thinking? Yeah. Field trip. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. You kind of... Maybe... Maybe that's the kind of stuff you start to delve into in your 30s, but we were basically, we were gone by then. Yeah, we were gone by then. We, I mean, our, our, New, York, our New York youth was, what, like 23 to 28 around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Brooklyn, way out in Bay Ridge for a year before I came out here for good. Uh, I'm not going to any museums in Bay Ridge. No. Maybe like some dead mobster museum. Where you just see like blocks of cement, but I guess that um, that's a good Bay Ridge take. But yeah, that's all it is. Um, I enjoyed Bay Ridge actually, um, but yeah, uh, maybe we just we shouldn't beat ourselves up about that one. It was just we were too young, young, dumb, and full of you know desires to do other things. Yeah. All right, here's a letter bomb. some reviews Bob all music five stars out of five the great Stephen Thomas Erlewine praised the album as either quote a collection of great songs or as a whole writing that quote in its musical muscle and sweeping politically charged narrative it's something of a masterpiece how about that for a review this guy didn't like S-T-E. This guy didn't like Fashion Nugget by Cake. What does he know about anything? <laughs> the New York Times commended Green Day for trumping any pretension trumping. melody and sheer fervor. How about that? Chicago Sun-Times critic. This guy is a big name that pops up in rock criticism circles, even if I can't pronounce it. Jim DeRogatus. Sure. Wrote that the band 
had successfully, quote, hit upon an actual adult style of pop punk. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well put, old Jimmy D. You want to hear what Pitchfork had to say? Ambitious and successful in getting across its message while keeping its mood and method deliberately, tenaciously, and angrily on point. Great reviews. You know what I love about it? Here's what I'm saying now in 2020. I love that like punk has so many rules that a real punk band has had to like follow where it's like you don't which they do had that, a battle for years which and years. they battled yeah. for years in the mid 90s about like oh they're not real punk they're pop punk they're not real punk. like there were always those battles and then for them to put out an album that is a fuck you to punk while still being a punk album that's pretty punk right they did it right it's funny how like uh, just the idea of what's punk is very elastic uh-huh. and uh, Green Day just by the it's almost by the fact that they got so tremendously popular and Dookie they had probably if I had a guess had sold about 50 million albums by the time this album came out that you can never be a quote unquote punk band and have that level of mainstream success right uh, but yeah I agree with that that idea that if you're if you're known as a certain type of band as this pop punk band and then you put out something as like adult and serious as that this that is punk that is like a kind of a badass move and it was ballsy i mean it's all i mean it's all put it in context it wasn't like they were going to be um have their heads taken off in a guillotine if it was a bad album but it could have easily been seen as a kind of a bit of an embarrassing misstep in the end of their career it's like that history written by the winners thing it's like if this failed then it would have been like and that was the end of green day right remember when they tried to do a rock album? oh my rock god it was so embarrassing what is wrong with so that? cringeworthy i love the 2000s would have just like torn into oh them. they would have had so uh, the guy with the gap between his teeth <laughs> paul Shear. paul Shear would have had a <laughs> fucking field day with uh, American Idiot, if it sucked, and it's like, and it turns out the idiot was Billy Joe Armstrong. <laughs> Hal Sparks would have said that. Hal Sparks would have fucking went to town. Who else? Didn't you like find Pete Holmes on that uh, show? You were well, a I personally, on it, right? I, yeah, I personally didn't find him, but that's how I met him. Yeah, all those guys. Best week ever had such a lineup of about to be stars. It's insane. Nick hmm. Kroll. Paul Shear, John Mulaney. Mulaney was on it. Mulaney was on it. He had to be very young. Very. Nick brought him in. I remember Mulaney used to like pop into my office to get stuff on the internet. Hey there, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here is Wake Me Up When September Ends, a single. Like my father's come to pass. Seven years has gone so fast. Wake me up when September You know what was a really punk thing? When Kanye, during the Katrina telethon with Mike Myers, the great Mike Myers, star of The Love Guru, the Love Guru said George Bush doesn't care about black people. This is the best. Like in the, at the time, it was like, oh, well, Kanye, he's crazy and he's, he's, he's pretty white. But think about it now in retrospect. What a cool thing to say in live television. What a kind of ballsy, I don't give a fuck moment. That was a moment. Kanye. That was a moment best we ever loved. 
But I would but yeah, imagine, right. yeah. did Best Week ever like uh, give it like the uh, social respect it deserved? No. It or was it more like, Cat Kanye West? No, it wasn't what even a about, crazy piece no, of shit. No, he wasn't a crazy piece of shit yet. The big thing was about Mike Myers' reaction. Oh, right. I remember because he was just like so uncomfortable. <laughs> he was so uncomfortable. <laughs> Mike, the Mike Myers face. Because uh, he's like, woo, what was that all about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. Sorry, let me get back on track here. We got pretty good Canadian accents. Yeah. I don't want to sleep on the song. I, I was really going to say, like I remember this was the one that got me. This was the song when the American Idiot Buzz was building, and I was kind of like back and forth on what, how I was going to react. This was the song that got me loving it. Big was, and by the way, there's the son is a guitar solo and everything. This is quote unquote punk band mm-hmm. with a power ballad essentially. Uh, would you be surprised if I told you, Rob, this peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100? That it was that big. It was a top wow. 10 single in the UK, Belgium, and New Zealand, number one in the Czech Republic. And um, it was, speaking of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, it became symbolic after Katrina, where it was dedicated to the victims of the disaster. Uh, so it had kind of like that 9-11 thing going on with uh, Katrina. Mm-hmm. So another one of their biggest songs is about the death of his father when he was 10 years old. And the video uh, depicts a couple broken apart by the Iraq War, which was intended to convey the song's central theme of Lost. This was a band that was kind of just in a groove creatively where it just all came together. Mm-hmm. They had this vision and this theme and this feeling about what they wanted to say about where the country was. And then it just so happened that the band and Billy Joe had all these fucking great hooks. And then it all came together at the perfect time when it was released. It was Kismet. Yep. And it is interesting, Bob, that they disappeared after this album, essentially. They kept out putting up albums. They kept putting out albums. But I think one of the other footnotes of American Idiot was 94 Dookie comes out. They stay around. They have some billboard or chart success, but they are kind of under the radar, even if they're still putting out good music. 2004, they're the biggest band in the country again. Mm-hmm. And then that was kind of it. Do you, can you name really another Green Day song? I'm trying to remember. I think their next album, I thought, had a couple of big ones on it, but maybe not. I don't think so. I think it was over. I think it was a wrap on Green Day as in terms of a uh, a big band that made radio singles. They were busy getting that Broadway musical ready. That's certainly possible. Here's Homecoming. second nine-minute song in the album. 
I was just thinking how everything I, everybody I loved in the 90s either put out a musical or a podcast. <laughs> it's one of the two. Who are, what, who are some of the... Uh... They were either like, you know, Matt and Trey from South Park yep. going to Broadway or Billy Joe Armstrong going to Broadway or like all of these musicians that now have podcasts. It's one of the two. All right, I'm going to ask you how many copies American Idiots sold worldwide. Worldwide. Got to get it within two million. God, I'm not going to. 26 million. Okay, you went high. It was 16 million copies. I, I, the six I felt good about. It was the two that I didn't feel good about. And, and keep in mind, this is 2004, 2005 at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's true. There is iTunes exists. There are people that are ripping MP3s. Yeah, I should have factored that in there. To have an album that sells 16 million. Yep. Holy shit! Um, it is. I don't know. I got to be honest. It's that's a tough ask to put a nine-minute song this deep into the album. But but you're in it. You're in it for the whole story. You're... And they've earned it. Let's face it. <laughs> what you've heard. This is a band that uh, was taking risks all through the album. So they said, "Fuck it. Let's keep rolling." We're doing. We're, we're making a musical. It's good. Yeah. It's a nice one. I'm going to get big into this album right now. You're going to do it? I'm going to do it. Well, you're going to be driving home shortly after we wrap here, Bob. Mm -hmm. And uh, are you going to listen to American Idiot? Or is there going to be another time? When is the right time to listen to this album? No, I want to listen to the whole thing, like beginning to end. Start to finish. I like that. Here is the final track. What's her name? Forget Bob the in in between Dookie and American Idiot was Good Riddance Time of Your Life, which is like I don't know one of the most well known songs of the nineties. I mean, it was the song of our senior year. I mean, they used it in the series finale of, of Seinfeld for Christ's sake. At least in the uh, the clip show that yeah 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 oh yeah it was like the perfect montage song. And if you graduated in 1998, like Bob and I did, that was fucking, what a winner. <laughs> and then people the next year thought, oh, we have vitamin C graduation song. No, that was contrived and that was 
built to be your graduation song. Time of Your Life, that was fucking legit shit. That combined with the uh, Wear Sunscreen song, I mean, we were living the dream. It's, it really, it's a great album. So good. And uh, I'm with you. I, I think it's an album that deserves time. That's not really how people listen to music anymore. They don't sit down and listen to a 60-minute rock opera. Uh, it was something that really people hadn't been doing since the 70s. So, mm-hmm. again, that speaks to that this was a, a ballsy endeavor. But let's, let me see if I can remember him. Okay, Billy Joe Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Mike Durnt. Yep. And Trey? Cool. Trey, Trey Cool. Oh, did I did not think that was Look coming. Look at that. Wow. Trey Cool was the guy who was kind of the jackass, right? Durnt was tall yep. and lanky. Mm-hmm. And Billy Joe was Billy Joe. Okay. That was cool. I like when we do this uh, podcast and you can listen to something with fresh ears and appreciate it. Yes. And some of these songs, like just now, What's Her Name? I was kind of into that song, but we got to wrap this fucking thing up. That's true. Yeah. The Homecoming, we really gave short trip. It did not get the... Love that Jesus of Suburbia did, but I'm sure that song has a lot of layers to it. So, uh, and I, and that's one of the good things about the show, Bob. We can uh, go down and and really d- dive back into these albums, and so too can the listeners. Yes, and thank you to our Patreones who voted for this album in our listener poll. And if you want to dictate what we listen to on this podcast, Nick. go to Patreon.com/slash/ThrowbackPod. Thank you guys for keeping us afloat. Everyone who kicks in $2 a month, $6 a month to vote in these polls and more, especially our top tier sponsors, Bruno, the sponsor. Love those guys. And Courtney and Wyatt. Thank you guys. You're the best. We love you. Love you guys and gals keeping us. When this is all over, we can travel again. We're just going to come to your houses and give you big hugs. Big sloppy kisses. Big sloppy Canadian kisses. With y'all, of course. (laughs) <laughs> with your um what's the word consent consent <laughs> okay I'm, I'm glad that was the word you were looking for i'm glad that was the one you were looking for it is getting late all right so <laughs> let's uh let's pick a song bob there are this is a tough one because you kind of almost want to get a little outside the box uh but at the same time you don't want to get too cute um what are you thinking what what's what's rolling around that that cranium of yours. We've never done anything like it. And look, I wouldn't mind if you wanted to pound the table for Jesus of Suburbia, a song that you said this album peaked at, song number two. I'm not going to fight it. It's a nine-minute song, but that's, you know, it's at least it's not the same thing for nine minutes. It's not a Dave Matthews song. It's basically five songs. It's not a Dave Matthews song where he's just doing one thing. Nine minutes long, and he's just like jamming. Dave's like, how am I getting buried on this episode? (laughs) He's not jamming. Boyd's like, what's going on? (laughs) What did we do? All right. So, yeah, I'm saying we do Jesus of Suburbia. Yes, Bob. I'm the son of Rachel Love. Yes. Jesus of Suburbia. Yeah. Bancho all nine minutes and eight seconds as the latest addition to the Throwback Podcast playlist. So check that out wherever you get your playlist. And guess what, Bob? Guess what? What? With that entry, we're closing out on eight hours of music on the Throwback Podcast Love playlist. That. 
So you put that thing on, and now you got a whole afternoon coming. You got a nine to five. You can just go to work. And you just got a nine to fiver. Great call. All right, so that's good. And uh, yes, follow us on Twitter at Throwback Pod. Email us uh, whether it's about um, you know bumping uh, balls or whatever at the Throwback Pod. But like mostly about bumping balls. Mostly, we're very curious. Uh, the Throwback Pod at Gmail. Throwback Pod also on Instagram if you want to follow us there. Our buddy Eric Dalloway does awesome work. Rate Keep and, that interesting. Yeah, he's been posting mustache pictures. Thank you, Eric. Rate and review on iTunes. Give us five stars. Oh, Come that on. Would be nice. You know you want to do that. All right, Bob. That's it. That's it. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then. Uh, let's. All right. Yeah. Well, until then. All right.